Anybody ever heard of the Darwin Awards? Yeah, they're funny. Darwin Awards are people who do dumb stuff. And they sometimes don't live to tell about it, but sometimes they live to tell about it. And they document these stories. Anybody ever heard of Lawn Chair Larry? Larry's boyhood dream was to fly. But fates conspired to keep him from his dream. He joined the Air Force, but his poor eyesight disqualified him from the job of pilot. After he was discharged from the military, he sat in his backyard watching jets fly overhead. He hatched his weather balloon scheme while sitting outside in his extremely comfortable Sears lawn chair. He purchased 45 weather balloons from an Army-Navy surplus store, tied them to his tethered lawn chair, and dubbed it the Inspiration. He said, I filled the four-feet diameter balloons with helium. Then he strapped himself into his lawn chair with some sandwiches and a six-pack of Miller Lite and a pellet gun. He figured he would pop a few of the mini balloons when it was time to descend. Larry's plan was to sever the anchor and lazily float up to a height of about 30 feet above his backyard where he would enjoy a few hours of flight before coming back down. But things didn't work out quite as Larry planned. When his friends cut the cord, anchoring the lawn chair to his Jeep, he did not float lazily up 30 feet. Instead, he streaked into the L.A. sky as if shot from a cannon, pulled by the lift of 42 helium balloons, holding 33 cubic feet of helium each, He didn't level off at 100 feet, nor did he level off at 1,000 feet, but after climbing and climbing, he leveled off at 16,000 feet. At that height, he felt he couldn't risk shooting any of the balloons, lest he unbalance the load and really find himself in trouble. So he stayed there, drifting cold and frightened with his beer and sandwiches for more than 14 hours. He crossed the primary approach corridor of LAX, where two airlines, Transworld Airline and Delta Pilots, radioed in reports of the strange sight. Eventually, he gathered the nerve to shoot a few balloons and slowly descended. The hanging tethers tangled and caught on a power line, blacking out a Long Beach neighborhood for 20 minutes. Larry climbed to safety, where he was arrested by waiting members of the Los Angeles Police Department. As he was led away in handcuffs, a reporter dispatched to cover the daring rescue asked him why he had done it. And Larry replied nonchalantly, a man can't just sit around. (laughs) I don't think Larry had good discernment there, do you? (laughs) Um, you know the old saying there's an old saying that uh, you learn something new every day I think that might be like a euphemism for I should have known this or should have paid better attention in school possibly and um, this week I was on the Google and I, I found a piece of American history that I didn't didn't remember maybe you know this maybe you didn't 
But in the 1860s, Alaska, the state of Alaska as we know it, was part of Russia. The Alaskan territory was owned and part of Russia. Then the Crimean War broke out, and that was a war between Russia, uh, Turkey, Britain, and France. And so Russia needed some more uh, resources. And so the United States of America purchased uh, the Alaskan territory from Russia for two cents an acre. Two cents an acre. Do that in today's market, right? After 50 years after that purchase, the Alaskan territory had brought in a hundred times the money and resources that um, we paid for, the United States paid for that territory. Um, They didn't know that it was filled with oil. They didn't know, they thought maybe the gold, there wasn't much gold in Alaska. And so they gave it to us two cents per acre. Not their best decision, right? Not their best point of judgment on behalf of the Russians. Without raising your hands, how many have had those times of poor judgment in your life? Lacks of discernment. Lacks in our just decision making. Well, we're in a series called Promises, Promises. And it's, we're going through Paul's second letter that we have to the Corinthian church. And in 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says that no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Jesus, in who He is and what He did for us. Yes and amen in Jesus. And by us, the amen is spoken, the so be it. And so each chapter in this letter, we've been mining for a promise from God for us to hold on to. And today, as I was doing studying for this all week, I saw the promise of discernment, the promise of being able to have good judgment that comes from following Jesus. Before I read our passage, remember the context of 2 Corinthians is this is one of Paul's most personal letters, like because he's just pulling back the curtain. He's hurt. The Corinthian church hurt him deeply. They entertained false accusations about Paul from the false teachers called the Judaizers, where they came in behind Paul's ministry and said, you can't trust Paul. His gospel isn't the gospel, and he's not a real apostle. And Paul loved the Corinthian church. You ever been hurt by someone you love who you feel maybe stabbed you in the back, did you wrong? When you read 2 Corinthians, that's, that's the emotion that the writer is, is feeling as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit to write down these words for us to be able to have it today. So we have to understand what was, why was he writing it, who was he writing it to, to understand what does that mean for you and I today, 2,000 years later. So Paul says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. But indeed, you are bearing with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his trickery, your minds will be led astray 
from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if one comes and preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, this you tolerate very well. Exercising discernment is the antidote to being deceived. It's, like, it's the antidote to deception. Being deceived, Paul uses the illustration of Adam and Eve in the garden being deceived by the, the words of this talking snake, right? It's, we just know it's the work of the evil one. There was deception. So I want to ask three questions about discernment that we get the most out of this passage. Maybe today you're in the situation where you got to make some big decisions. Maybe you got some choices in your life, relationally, financially, whatever, employment. Maybe you're being tempted to do something that you know is not God's will for you. You need discernment. We need discernment. And it's a gift and it's a promise. So what, first of all, what is discernment? What is it? Well, I came up with this definition. Discernment is the ability to distinguish right from wrong, good from evil, wisdom from foolishness, and truth from error. It's the ability to distinguish right from wrong, good from evil, wisdom from foolishness, and truth from error. That's what discernment is. If you want to go into a deeper dive in, in, in the Bible on discernment, I mean, every character but Jesus that we see in the Bible, like at times either exercise discernment or they lacked discernment. Read the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs, there's 31 Proverbs. You could read one a day each month and have read the whole entire 31 Proverbs. It's such a great wisdom book and talks about right and wrong, good from evil, wisdom and foolishness and truth and error. A lack of discernment in our lives or people's lives is sometimes pretty obvious, like outwardly. Bad decisions, poor judgment, poor choices, etc. But spiritual discernment is not always so obvious, or theological discernment, if you will. Sometimes you get people who have very strong personalities, very charismatic, very persuasive, that have led people down the wrong road spiritually and theologically into places of spiritual abuse, into places of darkness in the name of Jesus. Like We all have, have, have probably know people who have gone down those roads of, of bad doctrine, bad teaching by persuasive people. That's where cults and things of that nature find its way in a lack of discernment. You and I, more than almost anything today, we, we need to know the goodness and love of God and we need discernment. We need to be able to discern what's going on. Second thing about discernment is discernment is a spiritual gift. It's in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul, in what we call the manifestation gifts, lists nine of these manifestations of the Spirit that are gifts from the Spirit. Healing, miracle, etc. One of them is, is discernment. He says, the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. 
That's what, so discernment or distinguishing of spirits is a gift of the Spirit. And so you can seek it and ask the Holy Spirit for that, that gift. Jesus, his discernment was impeccable. When you read the life of Jesus, he could read people, he could read situations, he knew, knew when the demonic was going on, demons were behind something. He was spiritually discerned, operating in the gift of the Holy Spirit in his humanity. Of course, he's God, but he was in his humanity, he relied on the Spirit. And we need to rely on the Spirit. We need that gift of discernment. Remember the story in uh, the Gospels where there's some people that are preaching Jesus and baptizing in Jesus' name that weren't part of the 12. And James and John come to Jesus and they say, hey, these people are doing this in your name. Should we call fire down from heaven and kill them? I'm sure Jesus laughed just like that, like, you dummies. (laughs) Call fire down and kill them. This is James and John, a little wet behind the ears still as his disciples. And Jesus probably laughed, and he nicknamed them the sons of thunder after that. But he told them something that's important for us to, to read into. He says, guys, you do not know what spirit you are of. Jesus was using discernment there. He knew that some kind of false spirit was motivating James and John, his disciples, to call down fire from heaven to kill people. So discernment is very, very important. Why is discernment very important? Let's answer that question. Why is discernment so important? First of all, because a failure to have discernment has consequences. It has consequences. In my life, when I look back and I made poor judgments, lack of discernment, there's consequences. Can you relate? All right, thank you. Um, In Paul's, the passage we read, he said, I'm afraid you guys are being led astray like Adam and Eve by the deception of the serpent. And that's, we see that story in Genesis 3, right? The lack of discernment of Adam and Eve led to the fall, led to death. God had told Adam and Eve, he said, listen, you're blessed. I've blessed you. You can eat of any of the trees in the garden. Eat of the, but the one tree I don't want you to eat from is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from it, you'll die, physically die. And if you remember, the serpent comes to Eve and, and, and just deceives her. She doesn't use discernment, and neither does Adam. We always blame Eve, but he was standing right there watching her in this situation. So he, uh, on his watch, she got deceived. And the serpent deceived Adam, Adam and Eve to, to believe that God wasn't good, like did God really say you shouldn't eat from the tree? And she, she responded quickly with, yeah, he did say that. He said, we'll die. You're not going to die, the serpent says. God's holding out on you, basically. And if you eat it, he knows if you eat of it, you'll be like him. So they got, they got duped, and they ate. So a lack of discernment or a failure to have discernment has consequences. The second reason why discernment is so important is because how it happens. Be- discernment 
We need discernment because deception starts subtly in our minds. Deception starts subtly in our minds. Someone famously made this statement that has always stuck with me. They said, sow a thought, reap an action or a behavior. So like as a farmer or a gardener sows seed into the ground to expect a crop. Sow a thought, reap a behavior or an action. Sow an action or a behavior, then you reap a habit. Sow a habit, you reap a character. Sow a character, you reap a destiny. Good or bad. So what are we sowing in our thought life has everything to do with the kind of people that we become. Again, Paul said, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his trickery, your minds will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Jesus and Paul both talked a lot about light and darkness. Jesus came into the world as the light of the world. He said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness. When we put into practice the way of Jesus, we are walking in the light. When we trust Him, when we do things our own way, we're walking in darkness. Paul talked to the Ephesians, and he, he talked about how the darkness of the mind before they became Christ followers was darkness is in the mind. And it's, it's this thinking that God's not good and that He can't be trusted. Or that I know better than God. That's walking in darkness. We've all been there. To walk in the light is to say, God, you know what's best. In this same chapter, in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul says in verse 13 and 14 that Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Often our perceptions or images we get of the devil is this scary being with horns and a pitchfork that we would recognize right away like, ooh, But he says he masquerades as an angel of light. He's deceptive. He's a deceiver. And he subtly sows little thoughts in our minds that we have to be aware of to say, no, I'm not going to go the way of stinking thinking, so to speak, because it's, it's in our minds. So, practically then, how can I walk in discernment? How do you and I walk? in discernment. I think this is so important. What I'm going to say to you is so important to receive. I need to have a conviction. You and I need to be convinced that God is good and He knows what's best. He's good and He knows what's best. In other words, if God tells us to do something or not to do something, or in other words, if Jesus in his teachings tells us how to live, he has our best interest at heart. He's good. He has all of our best interests at heart. I wish I would have known this when I was, before I became a Christian, like in my early 20s, that actually Jesus really does know what's best. And if he says to do something, it's because he loves me. He's a, he's a, a good, God is a good father. He's never going to tell us to do something that's bad for us. It's always because he has our best interest at heart. 
So are you convinced today that God is good and that He knows what is best? That's what we're challenged with every time we're tempted. Every time temptation shows up, it's, did God really say? Is He really good? Can He really be trusted? So for discernment, we need to ask for it and pray for it. King David in Psalm 119 prays a great prayer we can pray. Teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. For I believe in your commandments means he was convinced that God was good and he knew what was best. So teach me your way, Lord. Second thing to walk in discernment is I need to follow the right Jesus. Follow the right Jesus. We need to follow the Jesus that's revealed in the Gospels. Because people tend to create a Jesus in their own image or somehow to their own liking. How did Jesus reveal himself in the Gospels? That's so important. Paul talked about you're following, entertaining a different Jesus. Not the one that I preach to you, but a different Jesus. There are some groups of people who say they follow Jesus or believe in Jesus that believe that doctrinally that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer and that he's a created being and that God created two sons, one went bad, one went good. That's not true. That's not how Jesus revealed himself or how scripture teaches us. Jesus has always been God. Our God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God revealed in in three persons. There's a union, a oneness in the Godhead, but there's three persons. So Jesus has always been God the Son. He's always been the Word of God. When He became human, He took on an, an additional nature in His humanity. That's how much God loved us, and that was the plan of God from the very beginning. There's another group of people who say, that they follow Jesus or believe in, you know, that Jesus is the Christ, but they believe he's Michael the archangel from the Old Testament. And that's not who Jesus is. Jesus is eternally the Son of God. A different Jesus is always going to lead us to a false understanding of our Father. That's important. Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen my Father. We're one. And in their oneness, we see what God is like. So we don't create a Jesus that fits our liking. Think about all the things, terrible things that have been done in the name of Jesus. The Crusades. Stuff going on today. I see it on social media. And I'm like, you don't know Jesus. That's not Jesus. That's your own political Jesus or your ideological Jesus or your national Jesus. How did Jesus reveal himself in the Gospels is so important for us to understand. When you follow the real Jesus and you go to those words in red in the Gospels and you read those words and you apply them in your life, you're going to walk with discernment and you will follow the way of peace always because Jesus is the God of peace. Thirdly, I need to understand the real gospel. 
If I'm going to walk in discernment, if we're going to walk in discernment, I need to understand the real gospel. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, Scott, who do you think you are? You have the right Jesus. You have the right gospel. No. I'm just, we're just looking at what Jesus said and what's been revealed in the scriptures for us and then following Jesus. None of us have this perfect hold on, on Jesus or handling the scripture, but the gospel transforms our lives when we're following and, and understanding the real gospel. The gospel in the Western world, in a lot of the evangelical world, has been deduced to a get-out-of-jail-free card. Did you pray a prayer? Did you walk the aisle? Did you fill out a card? If so, then you get hold on to that, and then you won't go to hell. And it's, that is not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus, in His life, coming into this world... In his life, death, and resurrection, he reversed the fall of Adam through what he did. He undid the fall of Adam on behalf of humanity. He overcame our enemies of sin by nailing it to the cross. He overcame death by his submission to death and his rising from the grave. And he overcame the evil one. He stripped him of his authority. He stripped him of his authority. A different Jesus is going to lead to a different gospel. Paul talked about that. He said, you're entertaining a different gospel than the one you heard from me. The gospel of what I just explained to you about Jesus overcoming our enemies of sin, death, and the evil one, reversing the curse of Adam, the fall of Adam, when we, we understand that gospel, it gives us a whole new outlook, a whole new worldview. And it helps us to make wise choices, right choices, good choices that are going to be good for us and others that are going to be um, selfless and others-centered because that's the way of Jesus, self-denial. And then lastly, to have discernment, I need to walk in the Spirit by abiding in Jesus. I think those two things are the same thing. To walk in the Spirit, to abide in Jesus, are the same thing. Paul tells us in Romans, no, Jesus told us in John, that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. He's the one that leads us into all truth. Two, two passages that mirror each other. Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the desire of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. And then Jesus in John 15, he, he told the disciples, he said, abide in me or remain in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. Check this out. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's a total dependence upon Jesus. And friends, that's the best place to be is with Jesus. I'm glad apart from him I can do nothing because I'll just screw it up. You relate? If it's left to me, I'm going to screw it up. But when we're abiding in Him, we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. 
We can have discernment. We can have joy. We can make good choices when we are convinced that He's good and has your best interest at heart. That's so, so, so important. So I wonder today, as we're getting ready to take communion together, I wonder if you would just take a moment with me and ask yourself the question, where do I need discernment in my life right now? What choices, what situations, what decisions in all areas of your life, relationally, your occupation, financially, whatever it is, temptation, where do you need to make a good choice? Where do you need discernment? Think about that with me just for a second. May the God of love, may the God who is good, may the God of all wisdom give you the discernment and wisdom that you need and that what you're thinking in your mind right now. May you hear his still small voice beckoning you, calling you, showing you the way. May you know today that He's looking out for you. May you know today that He cares for you. May you bathe in the love of our Heavenly Father. May you bathe in the presence of His Spirit. Jesus, whom have we but you? Lord, we're not going to fear circumstances, situations, and we're not going to take matters in our own hands. We're going to trust you, that you're going to lead and guide us. Lord, we admit it's hard. It's hard because sometimes we don't feel you. We don't feel like we're hearing from you. Help us. Lord, we're weak, but in our weakness, we're made strong because your grace is sufficient in our weakness. Jesus, thank you for what you did for us in coming into this world and becoming one of us. Thank you for living and dying and rising on our behalf. Today, we agree with you. You are the Savior. You are the Lord. And we want to walk as your disciples in your way. Your way is the best, Lord. And so as we approach the communion table this morning, we do with thankful, humble hearts for all that you've done for us, that you're doing, and what you have planned for us in this life and in ultimately the life to come. You're the best. We praise your holy, holy name, Jesus. We praise you, Father.
praise you, Jesus. We praise you, Holy Spirit. Thank you for the gift of life and eternal life. And as we take the bread and the cup, we reflect on the reality of what you've done for us. And we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, we have two tables up here and there's communion in the back of the room as well if you want to kind of come around and make it not get too jammed up here traffic jam there is gluten-free options for those of you that that need that we try to think of everything here but let's take the come grab the elements and then bring them back to your seat we're going to sing a song and then we'll take them together corporately
has promised good to me. He's done to shine that God who come me here below will be forever mine will be forever mine God you are forever mine the apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in his first letter. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he broke it, he had given thanks. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's take the cup. Lord, thank you. Thank you for what you're doing in your body, in this church. I thank you for all the new people that are connecting and and growing and building friendships. And thank you for just the relationships that are forming and have been formed here. It's all by your grace. We collectively together say yes and amen to all of your promises, Father, in Jesus. Thank you that your divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. We lack nothing. We have everything we need. And Lord, we want to be a people who love well. One another and the folks that are in our life. God, I pray for every marriage that you would strengthen the bonds of love and grace and forgiveness. God, I pray for every family, every parent, that you would give them great wisdom. I pray for a, a, a connection as a families. God, I pray for folks in our, our church that are single. God, that you would give them wisdom and joy and a peace that surpasses all understanding. God, I pray for our young folks, our students, and our children, that they would grow 
following you, believing and having a conviction that you're good and that you know what's best. Impart that to them. And Lord, we just collectively say we love you. We love you so much. Thank you that you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.